Welcome to the Backs to the Wall podcast. Four mates talking all things football with some special guests and other sporting shenanigans thrown in as well. This week on the wall, after 369 days, the longest domestic season in English football history has finally ended. Leeds United, West Bromwich Albion and Fulham will all be heading towards the English top flight and we'll be chatting about all the big talking points from this season's championship. As well as that, our sent into the reserves feature returns as well. We each nominate a player who we think has been particularly poor either on or off the pitch and hope to send one of those players to the reserves. And it's the return of the lockdown accumulator this week, giving you our selections in the SPL, the Irish Premier Division and the Belgian Jubilaire League. It's been a while, but the Back to the World podcast returns this week. I suppose we should we should each uh, sum up where we've been. Jamie, anything interesting happened in your life? So, yeah, uh, a few weeks back we had to, to postpone um, our podcast because I had a, an incident where in the, in the bath slash shower where I fell through the, the shower screen and required 18, 18 stitches. So um, we had to push back our recording of the podcast to the following week. And that's where um, I think it's Michael. You can take over from here. I wasn't sure it was me or Andrew. Um, yeah, cut a long story short, I, I fainted. Was, wasn't too well. Just, just working too hard, I guess. And Andrew, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, I've had a pretty eventful couple of weeks. I broke my ankle in three places last Saturday. And uh, I've, let's just say I've not been living my best life ever since. I had an operation Tuesday gone. I've had pins, plates, screws put in. So, yeah, just wonderful. I think this just put us back into lockdown. But while all of this has been going on, the uh, the football has continued, and um, as well, I'm going to say the football's wrapped up. But in some of the leagues, it started again. We had the SPL get underway again at the weekend. What else have we had? We've got the Europa League that was uh, on last night. Champions League is on this weekend, so there's lots um, to talk about. But we're going to focus on the English Championship this week. And like I mentioned there, Leeds United, of course, the champions. Uh, West Brom, they're going up and uh, Fulham got the better of Brentford in uh, extra time in that uh, playoff match earlier on in the week. So deserved, would you say, those three sides going up? I think Leeds definitely were deserved. They were the best team by a country mile throughout the whole season. I mean, what they, they were first by 10 points and just runaway winners by the end um, for seasons they've been known as kind of like the bottling club but this year they've stuck at it and you've got to give credit to Bielsa he's come in and done an amazing job and just brought in such a good culture to that club and then arguably it's also where Leeds should be as a club they're probably one of the biggest clubs within England and it's been 16 long years for Leeds fans and they've finally got promotion back to the Premier League but yeah um you have to give credit as well to uh, Bielsa. Like you said, Andrew, he's led them to promotion. They finished third, I think, in, um, in, in last season. And even with the, the break in football because of uh, the COVID pandemic, it, it's a campaign where Leeds didn't really look like they weren't going to get promoted. And in fact, they weren't outside the top two since November, I think it was. So, yeah, hard to, hard to argue with uh, Leeds coming back up to the Premier League and um, a very popular club, as you mentioned. I think a lot of praise um, has to be placed upon um, Leeds manager Bielsa. It's his, I think his whole attitude um, to the game is something fresh and a bit a bit different and something that's really exciting. I mean, if we all remember Spygate from 
from last season where he sent basically sent scouts to watch the the teams that he was going to be playing the next week in training. It's basically an unwritten rule that you that you don't do that, but he didn't seem to have too much of a problem with it. And yeah, he just his all his old demeanour as well. He acts so he acts so calm, and it was really good to see when Leeds got it over the line. He was just you could just tell the the joy and elation um, on his eyes, and I saw videos of him as well outside the um, outside the ground after the game, and he was sort of like just so joyous with the with the players, but. I think Andrew touched on it as well, and that the Leeds they are such a a big club, and they've had a really really torrid sixteen years. I mean, they were they were down in League One for for a time as well, and just couldn't seem to to find the winning formula. But it just takes a, a manager with a bit of a different style to come in, and although they did falter last season, which I I couldn't believe, I thought they were a shoe in to come back up again. But after especially after lockdown, they 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 really sort of kicked on. And they were, I remember watching some of their games and thinking how good defensively they were. They were just thwarting every team's attack that was coming at them, and it was just yeah, it was a masterclass from them this season. And it'll be interesting to see how they how they strengthen or if they choose to keep a lot of the sort of the, the core of their squad that they got at the minute, and to see how they'll perform in the in the Premier League. I think as well, it makes it all the sweeter for all those Leeds fans because you kind of mentioned the the lows that they've they've been through over the years. Um, you mentioned League One there, Andrew. You know what it's like to be in League One, and I think they they were in administration, weren't they? Isn't that why they they went down to League One in the first place um, all those years ago? And actually, they they eventually, when they did get out of League One, it was under the management of a, a former Sunderland manager, Simon <laughs> Grayson. Big Simon Grayson was indeed. Yeah, I think it's, it just makes it all the sweeter for Leeds fans. You know, the euphoria of. Being back in the Premier League after the lowest of, of lows. I think one thing for next season, they really need a, a striker, as Patrick Bamford is, isn't is good enough to lead the line in the Premier League, I don't think. I think he's good enough for a championship side, but he misses far too many chances, especially moving into the Premier League where you're only getting it, one chance a game at most sometimes. One point I also wanted to make was that it's interesting when I was looking up some of the the stats that, that Leeds have before before this podcast here is that uh, each of the past four decades Leeds have been top of their respective division. Like back in 1990, they were top of division, the old division two, and then ten years later in 2000, at the turn of the millennium, they were top of the the Premier League itself, and then uh, ten years later they'd obviously found themselves top of League One and now they've just won the, the championship in 2020 so it's something about the end of the decade that really or the start of a new decade that really spurs Leeds on. So um, joining Leeds in the uh, Premier League will be West Bromwich Albion and Fulham what did you make of West Brom this season? Well they were alright they were kind of like leading or pretty close to Leeds all through the season but they kind of tailed off towards the end and their form when we came back in or from the the break wasn't very good. I mean, they've drawn seventeen games, which really isn't good enough. And they really did try their best to bottle it. I mean, their form in the last few games, they picked up what six points of a possible fifteen, which really, when you're going for it or going for promotion at the end, isn't good enough. And on the last game of the season, there it was in Brentford's hands, and luckily for them, Brentford got beat. Who? massively bottled it. Brentford just needed to win one of them two last games and what did they get beat off? Barnsley and Stoke, I think. Yeah, I watched the Brentford's last game of the season because that, that final day was, was something special um, and it just shows that the Championship in England is 
one of the most exciting leagues in the world. Like, but Brentford just looked like toothless and, and out of ideas playing Barnsley. But it, it also shows because Barnsley had so much to play for as well. They were at the other end fighting against relegation. But you could just tell the grit and determination that was there with, with Barnsley and they wanted it more. And they just they were able to score score late on while they crossed and a nice a nice finish at the end of that and Barnsley were able to to stay up but at the the fate of Brentford who unfortunately for them and I would quite like to have seen Brentford in the in the Premier League a, a small team who have been absent from the English Premier League for over seventy years coming up but it's a shame but you just <laughs> you have to win your your remaining games you can't rely on your form before the last five. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've actually got written down when we were meant to record this podcast was before the playoffs was being played. And I've actually said, with that sort of form going into the playoffs, you wouldn't really fancy Brentford to get promoted. And they didn't in the end. I mean, when you're that close to the automatic promotion, sometimes it just knocks teams all, all to hell. I mean, what they lost their, their first leg against Swansea, to be fair, they came back in it. But the, the playoff final was such a cagey match and it was quite a bad keeping error from that David Rea, but to be fair, that Thomas Frank has done a really good job, and I really like Brentford as a club, like that recruitment and transfer policy is really good, but it just really wasn't to be for them. Wasn't to be, and I think you've both mentioned it there, they had what they had a chance to get promoted against Barnsley, they then had a chance to get, sorry, a chance to get promoted against Stoke and lost, chance for promotion against Barnsley and lost, and then the game against Fulham, obviously, which they, they lost after extra time. So you'd have to say Fulham were worthy winners in the end of that match. And that's nine times now Brentford have had have been in the playoffs over the years and, and nine times they've failed to come through them. So I would be siding with both of yeah, you. I would quite like to have seen Brentford come up. But you know, like you say, it just wasn't meant to be in the end. And uh, Joe Bryan, was it, in the end, scored the, the two goals and unlikely... Uh, Hero, so uh, no, I'm, I don't really have anything against Fulham either, but um, it would have been nice to see Brentford go up. I think it's quite nice to see new teams get promoted. I mean, I've got nothing against West Brom either, but they just seem to be such like a yo-yo club. And I mean, Fulham, they were they just got relegated the season before and promoted again. And it's kind of almost frustrating when you see teams just do that back and forth all the time. I do have to... Um... Say that I got a lot of respect and uh, admiration for for Scott Parker, the the Fulham manager. Just, I mean, he, he took over what was at the end of last season or start of this season. Just what was that? Do you know the what end I mean? of last season. Yeah, he took over at the the end of last season and has just done superbly well. I know that they they didn't get one of the automatic places and they had to go through the playoffs, but the the team that he's assembled just it's just brilliant. And I think with with him at the helm next season that they'll. Well, I don't want to curse them now, but I think they'll—I don't think they'll—they'll they'll push it in the top half. But I reckon that they won't be in too much trouble of relegation. And it shows also last season with um, with Derby and uh, Frank Lampard. He basically got the Chelsea job after his showing, and and Fulham did have gone and done done one better than that. So I wonder if um, bigger clubs will be sniffing about the possibility of of taking Scott Parker away from Fulham. Well, Fulham will probably end up spending a load again in the in the summer because they did when they were in the Premier League last. So I don't know. You you could match them with maybe Aston Villa season this just just about hanging on in there. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do. I think the final day of that championship season has to go down most exciting um, for many for many years, and it'll be struggle to be matched because tw- there was twelve games played on the final day, and eleven of them. 
had something riding on them, be that whether or not to finish second in the league, to clinch a promotion playoff place, or to, to fall into the relegation zone, get put down into League One. But Swansea, they went into it as somewhat ranked outsiders. I think they were sitting about in eighth, and um, they needed a six-goal swing against Nottingham Forest because they were had a much superior goal difference. Because Nottingham Forest seemed to really bottle it, and they lost... 4-1 to already relegated, already safe Stoke, um, while Swansea went in 1-4-1 against against Reading. So, if you're a Nottingham Forest fan, I just I can't even imagine the uh, the sort of <laughs> the mixture of emotions. Thinking at the start of the day that you're 100% going to be almost guaranteed a place in the playoffs, and then somehow your team lose 4-1, and the team chasing you win 4-1, and then end up getting getting promoted on on a on goal difference. Nottingham Forest has to be one of the biggest bottle jobs in history. In the last five games, they picked up two points and they only needed one more point. Well, not even one more point, just to concede one less goal. And then they would have still been in the playoffs, but it's just, just mental. That last last game of the season, like you say, having so much riding on it with the relegation zone as well, it, it was just crazy. And I think it adds to how the Championship is one of the best leagues in the world for an excitement, because every year there's drama at every end of the table. I have to go back to 2011 to um, find a Championship game week that had more goals. It was 40, 45 goals scored in those in those 12 matches. Yeah, and I'm saying that, that's not been, that hasn't happened for nine years, and that, that happened in the final day, so it was, just, it was just brilliant. I was watching it on my phone, and I was switching between matches, but as I say, I was um, game, and I suppose this would be an interesting or a good point to to switch to the to the other end of the table. Yeah, I think it was kind of just just madness at the bottom of the table. The way it changed in the last few games. I mean, I think all three teams that started in the bottom three before uh, the games kicked off could have stayed up, which was just mental. But then the, in the bottom five teams with five games to go in the championship, none of them went down which is is incredible, really. And it adds to the point of the stupidity or whatever you want to call it of the points per game. It's just, it just shows how much a season can change with just with five games left. Yeah, and I want to add to your, your point there. It was before I had a, a screenshot of the table before before lockdown. And yeah, as you say, the bottom of the relegation, and that just comes up. I want to just take it up the, the road to Scotland for a second. And when Hearts finished finished bottom and they were a, a little bit off off and they were so they were almost stranded at the bottom but the Park Thistle were were two points behind with a game in hand when and they've been relegated because obviously the virus and Strindar also got relegated from, from League One into League Two but it just shows that anything can happen in football and it was Thistle still had nine games still to play and we ended up getting relegated. So it just adds to how in the English Championship they managed to get things back underway, and none of the bottom five teams finished in the bottom. So just shows you what can what can change. Yeah, it's it's even crazier when you think about it because at, when the season finished, Barnsley, Charlton, and Hull were, were in the relegation uh, spots, and then of course Wigan get that twelve point deduction, and that saves Barnsley skin in the end. So Barnsley remain in the in the Championship, and Wigan go down and. It just really was a kind of roller coaster ride of a season. Just going back to to how much of a, a shame it is for for Wigan, 
Um, they, from for much of the season, well, I think they're actually the record holders this season for having um, been in the winning position more than any other team and then thrown it away and either drawing or losing. I've got 35 points that they dropped this season. And I mean, teams are going to have that all the time where they're 1-0 up and they end up drawing or losing the game. But if they just held on for in any of those any of those games um, and clinched a, clinched a couple more points, they would have they would have stayed up despite the um, the points deduction that they suffered due to the the um, the administration that they went into. So it is it is a real it is a real shame, but at the same time, it made it such an exciting exciting final day. With again, when you were saying about Wigan, it it's just a travesty what's happened to them. It should never have happened them getting deducted points or or whatever. I mean, the the EFL need to hang their heads in shame, really, because a week after New Orleans came in and supposedly passed their fit and proper test, they went into administration. I just don't understand how that works. And it's not the owners that kind of get punished for that. It's the fans, the players, everyone associated with the city. And I think the EFL, the way they've handled the entire season has just been an absolute joke. They've, they just look like a just a really badly run organisation. You look at uh, Berry at the start of the season and Bolton added to that. They chucked Berry out. Bolton were on, I don't know how many points they got relegated, uh, points they got deducted, but loads in there. And then they allow far too many chances to come into clubs. You look at Hull added to that in the category of bad owners. Their owners sold two of their best players and that Jared Byrne and someone else, I think. And that ultimately led to them getting relegated in the end. I think it'd be interesting to speak a lot about here about about Charlton, who who ended up finishing twenty second and and going down. And um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, or a bit more than that now, but about how Charlton's key players and one of those is is Lyle Taylor. He'd been their top goal scorer this season and was a talisman for them, refusing to to play um, any longer than um, or longer than when COVID nineteen was was preventing the leagues from from starting, and because uh, he wanted to move somewhere else, so. I mean, if they again themselves had picked up a couple more points, they wouldn't have been in the position they're in. And you'd like to think that with a a striker who's been in great form like Taylor has this season, um, they would be able to do that. So it's a real shame for the fans, especially, and I'm sure the the, the other players and the the staff at Charlton that they're going to they've suffered relegation, and it could be linked to these three players, or is it, I think it's three um, refusing to play since lockdown stopped and the football was was able to commence. Well, that's the thing. Charlton just needed one more point and they would have stayed up. But then they also could have stayed up with another bizarre thing the EFL have done with the Sheffield Wednesday points deduction. They've been handed a 12-point deduction, but for next season, which I don't understand either. And then there's still talk of Derby maybe getting one as well. But just the way they they seem to have handled things, it's just been shocking. And I think Neil Warnock summed it up pretty well going into the last few games saying, that the teams needed to know what's going on, as they should know. And I think the craziest news of all coming out from the end of the championship season was Birmingham retiring the number 22 shirt for 17-year-old Jude Bellingham, who only played 44 games for them, which for me, more of a traditional supporter, I would say, it's quite disgusting them doing such a thing. No, Yeah, it's absolutely farcical. I mean, there's, there's great players around... <laughs> around British football, who haven't had, who have played over ten years for clubs and not have their um, their jersey number retired, so it's just insane that a seventeen-year-old with forty-four appearances has um, 
has had that had that done. Um, I know he's a a Birmingham supporter and he's come right through the academy and whatnot, but I just think you have to do a little bit more than that to to have your number retired. So we'll move on to our um, reserves feature. Um, who will we be sending to the reserves this week? Well, this is probably a record for myself, but for two nominations in a row, I'm not nominating a Sunderland player. Although this player has probably scored against us a few times. I'm going for current Inter Milan loanee, soon to be permanent signing, Alexis Sanchez. Sanchez is getting my nomination this week for what has turned out to be a disastrous move to Man United in 2018. Before Sanchez's move to Man U, was still largely respected as one of the game's top players. I actually had the pleasure of seeing him score at the new Camp in 2014 in a 2-2 draw against Getafe. To be fair to him, he was actually a great player at Barcelona and Arsenal. Yeah, on paper, this was an excellent signing for Man U as Sanchez was a key player for Arsenal and probably the the only player that was kind of holding them together as a, a good team at the time. I think he scored 80 goals in about 160 games for Arsenal and was probably the type of flair player Man United needed. He signed a five-year contract in 2018 when the two clubs did a straight swap with Henrik Mkhitaryan going the other way. But the main reason he's getting my nomination this week is just how badly it went for him at Man United. And so much sure that he spent last season on loan at Inter Milan and is now reported, reportedly going there permanently. His contract as well is like ridiculous for a player that has barely performed for them. I think I've seen that his base salary is a reported 391000 a week, but an added 75000 per appearance, which makes him uh, the highest paid player in the Premier League. And I think he has a ludicrous goal and assist bonus as well. He gets an annual fee of £1.1 million, but received a £24 million signing on fee when he joined the club, which is just incredible considering the shipping out on loan last season. I think Inter were only playing half of his wages. This is the sort of money you kind of get here chucked about in the Chinese league, not the Premier League. And what made it worse now is that he's going to be leaving Man United having barely done anything for them. Uh, Sanchez is probably a shadow of a player of what he was in his Arsenal days, which is a shame for a player who was so good. And it's even worse when you look at his goals to assist and how much it's cost, man. You, I think I've seen it was reported that it cost them eleven million per goal, six point one million per assist, two point five million per shot on target, one point seven million per start, one point two million per games played and 764,000 per chance created and 20,000 per minute he played <laughs> and he will earn at least 93.5 million before his contract expires making him probably one of the most expensive free transfers in history I think his move to Man United was a disaster for both club and player as he played 32 games for Man United only scoring three goals and making six assists which is just terrible for someone who was on the wages that he was on. And then towards the end of his time at Man U, they weren't even played him due to the excessive cost he was costing the club for his appearance fees. And there was talks of him being overweight and not interested last summer during pre-season, which is probably one of the reasons why Solskjaer got rid of him. He's now agreed to move to Inter Milan on a permanent basis, which has now worked out at around £28,000 per touch it cost Man United whilst he was there. And from being one of the biggest and most expensive flops in Premier League history, 
Alexis Sanchez should be sent to the reserves. So, yeah, this week I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my roots, unlike Andrew, and <clears throat> I'm going to nominate a six foot six German goalkeeper who played five league games for for Partick Thistle, and it was really just the old cliche: five games too many. But I saw, I remember seeing him on on a couple of these a couple of these um, occasions, and he he pulled off a miraculous save from a it was an offside. Um, shot from a St. Johnson striker, but that is literally the only good thing I really saw him do. He just seemed he was our third choice when um, when um, Ryan Scully and Thomas Cherney um, were injured, and that's the only reason he was between the sticks. But you can just tell why he was the third choice. He seemed to be a bit overweight and was a bit slow to get down. And the reason that I really am nominating him today is because he caused me one of the most painful moments um, that I can remember. In football, I know that the big rivalry in Glasgow is is Rangers against Celtic, or the old firm. But Partick Thistle obviously from Glasgow as well, and it's a bit of a it's a, it's a rivalry as well, and um, it always gets my my blood boiling when we have to play one of the the old firm, and it's always such a tense occasion for me. Um, and we played really well um, in a game against Rangers back in I think it was 2016. And unfortunately, Ryan Scully and Thomas Cherney were injured, so we called we called upon this this big German this big German lad, and he came in between the sticks. And Thistle were one 0 up, and we were playing really really well. And it was as if it was as if we weren't playing Rangers, or it was no Rangers that that I've certainly seen um, over the last few years. They were they were really a lack lackluster um, side when I saw them that day. And um, it was if it wasn't for Joe Dodu, the Rangers striker, he equalised on roughly the 84th minute with an unbelievable volley and you just have to sort of hold your hands up and say right fair enough that's they don't really deserve it but it's an absolute screamer that he scored it was brilliant and off the right hand post and it was really really special um but what what happened next just had me almost in tears and it was um basically on the 94th minute of the game Joe Dodu got slipped in and he was one-on-one with Stuckman and so I don't mean to be too critical because it's difficult for keepers on a one-on-one, but basically Dodu had a not the best shot in the not the best shot in the world here, and it just rolled towards him, and he just instead of maybe sticking out a foot like I would see any other normal keeper do, or just pounce on the ball, he just sort of dived over it and it went under him, and then and the uh, Rangers won that game two-one with that goal, and oh, it was just it was just horrendous. I dislike Rangers a lot at the best of times, but that that day was just. Unbelievable, and it was needless to say he didn't make many more appearances for us. Us after that, um, and he went down to Chesterfield, I think, after us. But he only played a handful of games for them, and then went back to Germany and didn't really make too many appearances. I think only about seven for Fortuna Düsseldorf's second team. So my nomination this week is Thorsten Stuckman for giving me one of the most unhappy memories that I've had as a Thistle fan. Yeah, well, uh, incidentally, I am also nominating a, uh, a goalkeeper and uh, it's a goalkeeper that Andrew will be very familiar with and, and a football match that I will never ever forget not only because it was my first trip to the uh, Stadium of Light but I witnessed four possi- possibly the four greatest goalkeeping howlers well more just because it was four in one match of football is, is the totally baffling thing but it was Sunderland against Millwall and I don't imagine this would have been a great time for Sunderland in terms of their goalkeepers they had 
Who'd they have on it? They did Robin Reuter and Jason, Jason Steele. Steel. Yeah, and Jason Steele. And we had the pleasure of Lee Camp. The, Lee Camp came on loan, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Safety hand. <laughs> but it's Robin Reuter who who I am nominating um, this week, and it's it is for his performance in the one match that I did see at the Stadium of Light, um, and I'll never forget it because it was George Saville who scored the two goals against uh, Reuter, um, and uh, George Saville, of course, is Northern Irish. Um, the first one, they're both free kicks. The first one, uh, Robin manages to almost palm down into the ground and it, it squeezes between his legs into the net. And then the second one is 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 twice as bad. In fact, he kind of like, he throws himself at the post as the free kick's coming in and, and somehow, um, somehow George Saville scores again. But the match finishes 2-2. And I mean, I don't really have anything else against Robin Reuter apart from the fact that he came out and lambasted the uh, Sunderland Till I Die Netflix documentary because he claimed that it showed him in a terrible light. It only showed his bad mistakes. Um, the problem were is that there were a few of them. Um, and he, he goes on this rampage about how many clean sheets and stuff um, that, he, that he kept at Sunderland, but he, he didn't really last very long and he ended up back out at, uh, I think he's still at, no, he's at, he's at Willem now, but he's back out in, in, uh, in the Dutch League. And you actually can go and watch the video online. It's uh, it's called Robin Reuter v Jordan Archer, and it's four goalkeeping howlers in one game, and it is it is unbelievable. And I think as well before that, you'd be a bit Andrew, that there hadn't been many goals in in Sunderland games recently. Um, well, I got to see four, and they were they were honestly four of the biggest howlers you've ever witnessed in a football match. Um, and, and for that reason, I'm nominating. Robin Reuter. Yeah, I think the worst thing about that, Robin Reuter was, in my opinion, the best out of the three goalkeepers we had that season. But I remember being at that game and it was just ridiculous. I think I was speechless at all goals. I mean, I think Jordan Archer made the, the first error and then Reuter did two. And you're just thinking, what on earth's going on? But the fourth one, I think Jordan Archer's second uh, error. I think it is the worst out of the lot. Although arguably, Reuter's first free kick is is really bad. But yeah, it was just a horrific day for for goalkeepers. I mean, yeah, the first one it was Lewis Graben scored um, the first one, and like it, it wasn't great from Jordan Archer. But they just get progressively worse as the match goes on. And it, I, I, it was. I think it was only whenever we got back and we watched again, we realised how, how bad it was. Like he, he flings himself at the at the post and it's he just gets it all wrong um and yeah then to come out and say that the club had showed him in a bad light i mean you're just thinking come on it's also quite shameful you, you know you take one of your friends to see your beloved club and something like that happens in a game and you're just like jesus christ what are um, you doing boys yeah but I, I suppose we should we should vote um i went last so i guess i'll vote first um and yeah i I'm going to have to side with Andrew on this one and with Alexis Sanchez. It has to go down as, yeah, probably the worst free transfer um, that the Premier League has, has seen. And um, I think uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is, is probably doing the right thing and just cutting his losses and getting rid of him. Um, and, uh, yeah, he can be into Milan's problem. Yeah, I'm going to go for, for Andrew's nomination of Alexis Sanchez. And although Michael did put up a, 
a stellar case for Robin Reuter because although I wasn't at the game, um, I've seen it multiple times um, on YouTube, the highlights of that game. And the goalkeepers, I don't know how they're in professional football um, watching that. Um, and even uh, Jordan Archer's had a cap for Scotland, which I just cannot believe. But um, no, I'm going to go for Alexis Sanchez just because of I really liked him at Arsenal and I thought he was a fantastic player with great flair and, and finishing ability. But yeah, for whatever reason, it just did not work out for him at Man United. And when Andrew was talking about his contracts and some of the bonuses and clauses that he has in there, and for a player who really hasn't merited anywhere near the amount of money that he's been getting, um, I just think it's it's it's, it's scandalous. So, um, yeah, I'm going to side with Andrew and go for Alexis Sanchez. Well, that's great news for me. Another player of mine to the reserves. I would have probably voted for Robin Reuter just for the uh, nightmares that brought me rethinking that moment. But Alexis Sanchez joins the illustrious list now of players in the backs of the wall reserves. Right, well, we will uh, head into the last part of the, the show this week, and it's, of course, the lockdown accumulator. Um, we did have our competition running a few weeks ago, and one lucky follower, of course, uh, landed there. Was it a treble or a quad they had in the end? It was a quad. It was a quad, yeah. And I mean, they didn't pick big, uh, you wouldn't say they picked big juicy prices, but hey, a win's a win. But I just wanted to, to congratulate and he's, he's one of my my friends but he doesn't take too much to do with football and I think he's really gone at random with the selections and he's <laughs> he's done better than I have recently with his um, his gambling so credit to him and it just shows how little I know about football He's done better than all three of us, none of us have had a winner all the time we've done this Well hopefully this week the, uh, the tides will turn um, so I'll kick things off before I'll just remind everyone uh, the leagues this week are the SPL, the Irish Premier Division, and the Belgian Jupiler League. So in Scotland, I've gone for Ross County purely because I cannot stand Hamilton. Sligo Rovers at home to Shelburne FC. They were 11-8. to And in Belgium, I've gone for an upset just to bump the, the price up a bit. And I've gone against Club Bruges. I've backed Sporting Charleroi. At five to one, so a fiver on those three returns a whopping one hundred and seventy-eight pounds thirteen. Not too bad. Well, I've gone for Motherwell to beat Dundee United at evens. I've got. I've also got Sligo Rovers to beat Shelburne, and in the Belgian league, I have Genk to beat SV Zult Wargem or Wargem. Not entirely sure. Totally sure my Belgian isn't quite quite there, but they're ten to eleven and five pound gets you forty five pound at thirty four. Well, I hope Mother will pull through for you because I really really dislike Dundee United. But but anyway, that's for another day. In Ireland, I'm going to go for a home victory for Waterford against Cork City, um, and I'm going to go over to Belgium and I picked Club Bruges to beat Sporting de Charleroi. Um, and in Scotland, I'm going to mix things up a bit. I'm going for a Livingston um, against Hibernian draw. Now, Oosh. Livingston have a, quite a good record um, at home. They play in a, a plastic pitch, which I don't find particularly great, especially playing on or, or watching, I prefer, on the grass. And I don't think it should really be in the, the top league in Scotland. But they have a great record um, at home. And although I don't, I don't know if I have enough firepower to beat Hibs, I, I do think that they'll 
that they'll hold them to a draw. And a £5 gives me back £51.98. I thought you might have picked Park Thistle this week, Jamie, with the Scottish League coming back. <laughs> Being like yourselves, Andrew, it's been a really tough sort of four, <laughs> three or four years. Um, and Park Thistle now find themselves um, in the third tier of Scottish football, uh, although the latest relegation was due to COVID-19. So I can, I can almost let that one slide um, from the players, but the heartbreaks all the same. Yes, no, Jimmy makes Jimmy does make a fair point. It is a total injustice for the, the team bottom of the of the table to be relegated. Well, I think that just about wraps things up on, on the show this week. We will be back next week, of course, with a brand new episode. Um, hopefully, as long as our... Unless our no health, one gets injured again. Hopefully our, our, our health continues. Do make sure you follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to the podcast on uh, YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we hope to have you listening again very soon. <laughs>